Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome to another film study brought to you by Liquid Death Mountain Spring Water. Go ahead and check that out. You'll hear more about it in a little bit. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Happy show today. We're here to talk about the Ravens and Bengals on, on Sunday night and specifically about the performance of the defense 
Joining me for this is James Ogden. James, how are you doing? I'm good, Ken. How are you? Always a pleasure to talk football with you, my friend. So I'm doing great. Uh, where, uh, uh, where can folks talk to you online? Let's start with that. Yeah, you can, folks can find me on uh, on Twitter at NFL Ogden, uh, and you can find me writing on Red Star Baltimore, which is my my website, uh, where you'll find uh, a big, huge draft preview every year, which is the main sort of purpose of that site. But I also write the uh, the Battle Plans uh, weekly preview for Russell Street Report, so you can find me writing stuff all over the place. I'm, I'm I am have a tendency for a long read, so I'm. You have to be. Uh, you have to dig in for a good fifteen minutes to read my stuff, but it's uh, hopefully it's worth it. That that should be just fine with uh, our very very loyal listeners here, who always seem to be good for long reads, long shows. And James, I know we love to talk football, so we're not going to apologize if we go a little long tonight. That's just the way it the, the way it works. I hope you don't have any time constraints that I need to work around. No, only only bedtime over here in the UK, so that's fine. <laughs> All right, we'll get to sleep by. 2 a.m. or so, I think. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> well, kidding. It won't be that late. After last night, I always struggle with night games. So they usually end about 4.30 a.m. UK time. So I'm I'm kind of on American time anyway. So it's fine. All right. Very good. Uh, all right. Well, the, the, the Ravens, first of all, the bad news, they lost another big lead at home, uh, a 10-point lead this time. You know, they blew a 17-pointer. They blew a 21-pointer. They lost the previous two games, obviously, but this one they managed to come back despite falling behind. Yeah, in some ways, um, sort of, I know we won't necessarily touch on this too much, but in some ways, just better time management, I think, helped in some ways at the end of the game. Um, and this one to, and also sort of didn't didn't blow as big a lead, so it probably didn't feel as the, the momentum swing didn't feel as big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ravens very efficient in terms of drive utilization in this game. Unfortunately, the Bengals were too. If you look at that first half, by the way, very low drive totals in this game. But if you look at the first half, five drives for the Bengals who got the ball first, four for the Ravens. I'm not including that kneel down drive at four seconds at the end of the half. And that's the way you want to manage the game. If you're the team that gets the ball first in either half, you want to have it last also, or you haven't really done it. Anybody who's played ever the handheld electronic football of the 1970s, 1980s, you know it from that, <laughs> if at all. is You better you better have the, the ball last uh, when you when you get the ball first. Uh, what, do, what do we want to talk about here? But anyway, oh yeah, the second half, the Bengals only had three drives in the entire second half. And this is really unusual, folks. This does not happen often in an NFL game. I remember it happening once in 2008 where the Ravens only had three drives in the first half in their win at Miami. But they also had a pick six in there from Terrell Suggs that denied them a drive. So they would have had four drives. Miami had five drives in the half. That was the lowest drive total for a half to that point in that season. We're about at the same point. The Ravens went into that game two and three and, and, you know, one week six. And so after five weeks here, we're at kind of a similar point uh, in the season, but extremely unusual to have a three drive half that is not in any way tied to a uh, special teams touchdown or a special teams turnover or a uh, defensive score. It's just uh, very rare and, and indicative of both offenses really kind of moving the ball efficiently. Yeah, and also indicative of the way the Bengals had to move the ball. We'll get into it, I'm sure, but the mm-hmm. way the Bengals kind of had to move the ball in this game, which was which was the short passing. Um, you know, Burrow's very low average depth of target for this game, and and running the ball, they were pretty good running the ball, and the, the, well, much better than they have been in, in previous games. So it just kind of 
yeah, surprising that it, <laughs> it was only three because it didn't feel that egregious in terms of um, Adon running the ball. But uh, yeah, sort of a feature of the of the way that the Bengals had to attack this Ravens defense because the way the Ravens defense went about this game, I think. Yeah, great, great point on both of those. I think those are kind of the central two topics of the game. Let's come back to them in just a minute if we can. They ended the home losing streak. Uh, still been now one in five last six home games, and they lost them by nine net points, including this wonderful two-point win. Nine, I think it's actually 10 net points. So uh, not a lot of uh, uh, of the way Ravens like to win games. I mean, they've had the leads. They just haven't been able to lean on the other teams the way I expected to be able to at the beginning of this year with a secondary that you know really wants to look into the backfield, plays for turnovers. They're complete predators. Uh, I, I would have thought they'd have done much better with the lead than they have so far. Yeah, certainly. I think it was a, a kind of possibly a, a feature of the opponent as well. You know, the, the Ravens have at home had, you know, tough opponents to say the least and to start the season. So perhaps a feature of of, of that in terms of the start of this season and, and the injuries at the back end of last season to to start that, that streak. Um, but yeah, definitely a, uh, great to get that monkey off the back and, and get the, get the streak that streak over because it was so unusual really for a for a, a hardball led team and for this this Ravens team in in Harper's um you know in Harper's tenure as, as head coach yeah very it, extremely unusual to be sure and uh, uh, you know you mentioned it a little bit but let's start with the Bengals passing game destroyed the Ravens in in 2021 907 yards uh net on 88 pass Dropbacks, 88 dropbacks for 10.3 yards per play. So that includes the sacks all tossed in there. Uh, the Ravens really what they did in here is to simplify their scheme in a number of different ways. Uh, starting with the pass rush, they rushed for the, the vast majority of the time, but they also simplified their packages. They played a lot of zone. Uh, they really forced Burrow to take some things he might other, not otherwise look for. And it almost Burrow's play in this game also almost reminded me of some of the play uh, that we've seen from Joe Flacco against the Bengals in the past, a team that he had a lot of trouble against, uh, particularly later in his career. Once they, uh, you know, were somewhat good and had a little bit of of defenders on the back edge, they would very happily rush four against him and and force him to make either short throws or throws into trouble. Yeah, and the kind of we'll get into it, but the the, the sitting back in the the sort of too high shell that we're seeing across the seems sort of proliferate across the league is something that is is really like there's there's a there's a real narrative to to sort of why it happens and why why it's effective and why teams try and do it but there's also this narrative out there of kind of that I think is a little bit false there is a there is an element of truth to it but um around sort of quarterbacks having the the patience of a kind of petulant child and and not being able to you know push the ball down the field and and wanting to wanting to do that and i think that's kind of a bit overblown these guys are professional athletes and and josh allen has proved that that uh, you know over the over the course of the last um few games in at the start of the bills season that that, that that's ridiculous and and they've sort of taken a lot of what the defenses gave them um i think joe burrow is just and this bengal's offense specifically is just less efficient at doing that i don't think burrow is you know by his nature ridiculously impatient he clearly does want to drive the ball down the field but you know he's run an offense um at lsu where it was a bit more you know uh was was a bit more sort of spread you out sort of um yeah, the, the sort of lower depth of target, less sort of shorter throws. And I think 
I think what we saw in this game was just the the fact that the the Bengals offense just has not yet adjusted to to that style of play and and the way teams are, are clearly going to play them this season where they're going to not blitz very much, drop back into a too high shell and, and just say take what take what you take what you can and and it just looks like they haven't quite optimized themselves to play against that form of defense yet. Burrow, honestly, I believe is part of the problem in what you're yeah. saying because he doesn't have extraordinary arm strength. And, you know, he's, he's also, I would not call him jittery, but he, uh, pressure definitely bothers him and it bothers all quarterbacks, but I just looked at something, uh, we had a, a guy from PFF on who's looking at the outcome of various dropbacks and Burroughs in particular, when under pressure are, look really bad, a high percentage of sacks, low percentage of actually getting the ball out when under pressure. Uh, a fair percentage of throwaways, whereas the Lamar Jackson, when he's under pressure, is actually very good. He's above average in pretty much every category, uh, which is which is you know it's it's different. Uh, Burrow uh, in this game certainly had his one go-to method here. He had twelve passes that went out and were caught behind the line of scrimmage, and I believe he was twelve for twelve on those balls. I don't think he had a drop. I, we, we you know we had the previous week we had. Uh, um, Allen had a couple drops on the outside by the running backs or, or a couple balls that weren't completed. I'll put it that way. Um, this, it was, it was 12 balls. And they were actually reasonably successful throwing the ball to the outside. And I, I have some numbers on this that I'll just read off real quickly here. So, uh, it's in the article. If you want more detail on that, uh, go to my defensive article, but they had 12 plays outside, uh, uh that went for 75 yards, 6.3 yards per play. That's not really exceptional when you're talking about a passing attack, but what's good about this is not a high risk of an incompletion on these plays. So they end up being more or less an extension of the run game and a way to deal with opposing pass rushes. Uh, they, they got, you know, Perrine, Mixon, um, P Ryan, I should say, right. Chase uh, Boyd, all involved in these plays. And, uh, and they were, they were caught behind the line of scrimmage and, and a lot of them had some significant yak to them, but none of them were really big plays, but the, uh, you know, some people look at a pass play and they say 6.3 yards per play. That's not all that good. But in my opinion, that is really good for this. Yeah. And I think the the thing for me was, you know, I've, I've watched um, all four of the, the Bengals games uh, in the lead up to this game to to be able to to write the battle plans piece I mentioned earlier, which is a big preview piece. And one of the features I think that I did expect in this game was was more of that, that the, the Bengals have an issue that, when these teams sit back and play a, a kind of too high shell against them, or even when teams play play a middle of the field close coverage and have a um, a safety back there, you saw in my in the Miami game the Dolphins played with a single high safety a lot of the time, but he always cheated towards Jamar Chase's side, um, and obviously that that led to a, led to a huge T Higgins game. And I'm sure we'll get into the importance mm-hmm. of the T Higgins injury in this game, but I think it felt like the Bengals were it were just really overdue for an adjustment where they tried to get the ball in Chase's hands early. And they certainly tried that in this game. Um, but they also, as you mentioned, tried it, tried this to, to other players as well. It felt like a logical sort of extension of the Bengals, Bengals offense to try and get something going. They were struggling so much in the running game in the first four games of the year that it just did feel like that was something they were definitely going to try. But that's, you know... <laughs> I'm, I, I, I like to, to, to study football and to, and to see things. But if I could see it, then Mike McDonald definitely saw it and yep. the Ravens were so ready for it. 
Um, and it, it was a very obvious adjustment to their game plan that that did play out um, as I thought it might. Yeah, it's uh, you know it certainly was something to uh, it, to try. Obviously, what they tried last year with a, with a lot of pressure uh, had not worked. Even though the Bengals had a lot of trouble stopping a pass rush, uh, Burrow did not have too much trouble carving up the Ravens. Uh, obviously, in those two games there. Uh, aside from that, uh, the really simplified pass rush we kind of hit on, and we'll go into more detail in terms of some very in-depth specifics. But thirty-five of thirty-eight pass rush snaps with just a four-man rush. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. <laughs> it was exactly. It was the uh, wink antithesis, wasn't it? It was exactly mm-hmm. what what John Harbaugh was looking for with some of the comments that he made towards the end of last season. Um, about that that pass rush, uh, just you know, even even with a with relatively little success, I feel I'm sure you'll get into into your numbers, but even with relatively little success, he still stuck to that game plan, which was a big big departure from the way uh, he called the game in week two, uh, where the Ravens obviously really struggled against the Dolphins, where he just stuck dogmatically to a to a, a, a sort of a more heavy pressure. Um, a more heavy pressure approach. Whereas in this game, it was, you know, it was very different. And, and we saw him unveil some new packages as well, you know, some dropping Oway and JPP in, into coverage with with three three rushes um, and on the bind sack as well. Actually, I think they both got dropped into coverage on the bind sack. Mm-hmm. So saw some really interesting different simulated pressures from him that uh, that really, you know, really had an impact. Yeah, I, I, I agree. The, 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 they didn't do a ton of deception in this game. They did some, but they didn't do a ton. They didn't do almost anything with numbers. Uh, but what they did do in terms of deception was pretty effective. We'll certainly talk about that in a little bit here. Uh, penalties, still a problem on this defense. Obviously, two pass interference penalties, a defensive hold. Uh, at some point, that's got to get reduced. I did think it was a pretty bad call on the um, Peters DPI, I thought it could have been a defensive holding if you want to go for, you know, the little bit of jersey tug that was involved in there. But he was so far down the sideline from that ball, it was not catchable. And I didn't think it should have been a DPI. No, and I, I you know, I, I, I jump on some of the others as well. Obviously, the although I thought Hamilton was okay, uh, obviously that was pretty egregious. The, mm-hmm. the, um, the call on him, and I was a bit frustrated with Pepe Williams at the end, who I thought had a pretty good game, and then, uh, and then had that call as well. And they would, the, the real issue with those penalties were they were, they were, they were killers. You know, they, they took away third down stops. I think a couple of them, um, which was, which was really difficult for the Ravens in terms of momentum, and, and, uh, you know. Uh, you know, extra chances for a for a Bengals offense that wasn't quite running on running on uh, full speed, and um, to do that was was yeah was really frustrating. It's definitely got to get fixed. That it definitely was one of the things that kept the Bengals going uh, on those high leverage downs. The Ravens otherwise were were fairly effective, particularly early in the game. Obviously, in terms of stopping high leverage downs, uh, one of the interesting things in terms of a different. Thing that was happening is the Ravens did not go out there with a dime package in the first quarter at all. And they had third downs. I got to look at this really quickly, but they had a third and four stop, a third and 12 stop, a third and eight stop. Those would all be typical dime downs for the Baltimore Ravens. They would, they would run on Hamilton. Uh, they would put on a, you know, they'd have their, they'd have their nickel package on already, but, the, but they would run on Hamilton as the sixth defensive back. And they did not do that in this game. And I, I, you know, for all of the things that happened in this game, that's one of the real telling indicators about Hamilton. And and one thing we may want to talk about right away, if you want, is the injury to Marcus Williams, which is a which is 
devastating to the Ravens. You know, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but it's at least four weeks. He's going on IR. Um, but, you know, that's a huge playmaker loss for the Baltimore Ravens. But you know what? I don't think it's going to create playing time for Hamilton. No, I think it'll create playing time for Geno Stone. Yep. I think um, I, I, I'd be I'd be surprised if it creates for Hamilton. It's just the wrong spot. It's, it's the wrong spot entirely for Hamilton. Um, they'll continue to bring him in. I think they're pretty happy with Geno Stone, but obviously it's a huge drop off from Marcus Williams. That is a big, big injury, um, and we really shouldn't be. You know, it's not just the flash plays; it's the things he allows the Ravens to do. There was a reason they spent the money on him. Um, because it, it was the things that they allow him to, they, he allows the rest of the secondary to do. Um, just as he was starting to sort of get up to speed as well, I'm sure he would have started to be organizing that secondary as well. So it's it's a huge miss. And, and the things I've read a little bit about wrist dislocation tend to suggest that it won't necessarily just be a quick, you know, stint on the IR. It could be a good while. And, and, and by all accounts, he was maybe at risk of, it, obviously it has been confirmed as not season ending, but the fact that you have to confirm it is not season-ending suggests it's going to be more than uh, more than four weeks. Well, we'll see what the nature of the of the thing is, how severe yeah. it is. But but it it seems to me, whatever Harbaugh is saying is a is a platform for negotiation. So he he wants to present the rosiest possible picture. He says it's not season-ending. As a betting man, I think I would certainly accept even money right now that it is season-ending. Okay. Don't know where you are on that, but I would I'd be thrilled if he came back and thrilled to lose that money, frankly, if he <laughs> if he came back. But that's that's where I am right now in terms of of my belief in injury rehabilitation, how quickly people can get back. I mean, another possibility is Geno Stone plays great. And, you know, you you, you figure we're not going to rush Williams because he's playing so well. And I, the Ravens are very lucky have a second free safety on the roster good instincts good ability to vary the bracket from direct missile to the midsection to nice uh play for the overthrow or play for the underthrow as uh, you know undercut as well i mean he has those characteristics and and i think um it's really unfortunate for him that he hasn't gotten on the field as you know more than he has already in his career but this is his real shot he's he's got a chance to be an important player and i think you know it it's it's kind of an interesting situation with the Ravens because they've got four safeties right now, if, including uh, uh, Williams, who obviously is not available. But they may, they may actually have a decision to make at the end of this year in terms of whether they want to extend Stone early and maintain a really talented safety room uh, top to bottom. But I think it it would not be a terrible idea to do so if he if he continues you know, if he if he plays well. Yeah, and I think that's well within the range of possibilities from what we've seen from Geno Stone so far, not just in preseason, but in regular season. I think, you know, that it's that get off that he, he is able to get off his spot really, really quickly. He really does have outstanding instincts. I think the drop off you have from, from Marcus Williams, which I know you weren't saying this, but I think the drop off you have for people to to be keep an eye on is just is the range. The 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 rate he has a he will have a more reduced range than 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 we had with Marcus Williams. And so that that is disappointing. I th- I do think that he could be. Uh, I do think he could be back for the from the end of the season. I just I think there's a, there is something about. I feel like they are thinking about maybe some some relief pitching on that defense coming in late in the year in terms of a Jarbo um, and some other guys. So Bowser, it could yeah. be a Bowser. So it could be that they're sort of banking on. Being able to get to get to where they need to get to, and then getting some help back as as we get into the the run in and and into the postseason. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously that would really help. Uh, right now, you know, and and this is the case of a of a, a regular football season, and even with an unrestricted IR like they had during the COVID years, and it is more restricted this year, you still have more bad news than good news in a typical week. You 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 know, not all the time, but you will occasionally have a season-ending injury. Hopefully, not all the time. Hopefully, the Ravens have a game or two they can get through without having season-ending injury. Don't know if it's happened so far in five weeks, but hopefully that that uh, that can occur. Uh, and then you, you you do have some people who can return after after an injury stint. You have PUPs and you have other things. And the, and the Ravens have some of that. But uh, the Ronnie Stanley news was terrific news this week. And, uh, you know, getting him back on the field, seeing him play again was just a, a, a joy. And to see you know, those first two drives that they scored on both of them was was that much better. Yeah, um, uh, it'd be great if we could uh, if we could talk offense too. But uh, yeah, I was I, I it was it was it really was a joy to see Ronnie Stanley back on there and the, and the way the unit played um, when when he was back in the back in the game. So uh, I'm yeah I'm really excited about that for the for the rest of the season. Now, one of the things I want to talk about in terms of the loss of Williams again is is I think aside from his range, you're going to really miss the accountability he creates in others. Um, he, Humphrey, and Peters are all vill- very willing to go after an opponent, sorry, after a, after a teammate, not an opponent, in terms of telling him what they did wrong after the play. And he clearly has a very good understanding of how this defense works. I don't think there's been any question that. I think the Hamilton misplay on the 60-yard pass left to Hill for the touchdown against Miami was one where um, not only did Williams understand where Ham- he was supposed to be, he was he understood where Hamilton was supposed to be. When Hamilton came up to him at the line of scrimmage, he tried his best to bail out diagonally towards that back left side from the offense's perspective to try and see if he could he could make a play. But uh, he can't. Obviously, he you know if he has to position Hamilton on every single play, it's really too much. Unless that's kind of the only thing he's doing. Uh, on the back end, but he has other things he needs to try and figure out. He needs to make sure that that everyone in front of him is positioned correctly and and to make adjustments as needed. And that means he just he can't be Hamilton's uh, um, uh, what's the word babysitter. Although maybe he can be now from the sideline for the next few games. Yeah, so give him that job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that's a I great think, idea. <laughs> but I think uh, I think you're right. I th- I, th- I think he he made the you know we we we're used to having you know free safeties in Baltimore that kind of freelance and 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 do amazing things um on the back end marcus williams was a very you know is a very unselfish player um and and makes everybody else better um and you could see that from the first few weeks and i in fact the his connection i felt actually that you know when he played in in new orleans when when he came over the you know when you look at his the way he played in uh, in new orleans it was very much you know, he was very, he was, you know, 20, 30 yards off the line of scrimmage, single high, you know, not very connected to the rest of the defense um, and, and played a very particular type of post safety. While he's been here, he's been much more connected to the defense, much closer to the line of scrimmage with his depth. Uh, you know, he's been playing in too high. So he's been part of the unit and he's been better, which is kind of what I expected. You know, he was very good in, in as a saint, but he's been even better since he came to the Ravens. And so it is a, it is a big mess. Have you guys noticed those strange looking tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section of your local store? It's yeah, because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, the tall boy can is infinitely recyclable. They're trying to get rid of the plastic bottles. 
They also donate 10% of their profits of every can to help kill the plastic bottles. Plastic bottles are horrible for the environment, and aluminum is infinitely recyclable and actually makes money for the recycling facilities. Now, you want to have some fun? It's amazing how drinking water from a freezing cold can is so refreshing. Love it way more than bottles. And there's new flavors. This is a severed lime I'm drinking right now, where earlier today I woke up my morning, which is a straight mountain water, spring water. Whether you want sparkling or regular, they got you covered. So now it's only 9 a.m. here in my office, and I'm about to do a presentation with about 50 people. So here's what I'm going to I'm going to take this liquid death. I'm going to walk out on stage with it, make my presentation, and see how many coworkers think that I'm drinking a beer while making a morning presentation. Now, go on over to get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death at a retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. Remember, that's liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. Almost every player who comes to the Ravens gets a role like that. Even if they're cornerbacks, they get an occasional opportunity to rush the passer. You know, he... He was a guy who would never rush the passer in New Orleans, but they've had him up close to the line of scrimmage a number of times. You know, it's probably been 10 snaps this year where they've had him up close to the line of scrimmage in on a, on a run or, or even a rush of the passer situation. And it's just, I, I think it just engages that player to a higher degree. It, it, it energizes them to, to do things. Yeah. And also I, I wanted to, um, to, I'm sure you'll talk about this in your offense show, but, um, one of the things that, you know, you, you see him do is, is be up at the line of scrimmage and also rotate out back into, back into the safety position. And one of the things studying this game, I, I'm a big, big Lou Adarumo fan, who's the defensive coordinator for the Bengals. Um, and one of the things that you'll hear him talk about is how, you know, they brought in Daxton Hill this year in the draft, who I, who I really liked. And I think he mm-hmm. could be a really good player. But what you've seen is they've used him very sparingly. And it's because Anarumo really prizes that that consistency on the back end. And so having Von Bell and um, uh, Jesse Bates and, and the corners pretty consistent as well, allows him to do those things in the secondary that are really difficult to go against. They're very difficult, you know, they're very difficult to play against because they they show you such different things. They rotate in and out of different coverages, uh, you know, two, three times during during the course of a of walking out to the to to take the snap and, and then throughout the play. And I think that's something that you probably would have seen Mike McDonald start to do a bit more of. And and it will be more difficult for him without um, a veteran presence like like Williams in the secondary. I'm not certainly not saying that Geno Stone can't get there because I think he probably can. He's certainly intelligent enough of a player to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, that sort of consistency, it will. It, you know, they they've spent five games building ill with Marcus Williams. They'll have to do it again now with Geno Stone probably. Yeah, uh, there's there's there there are, there's a lot to a lot to learn. But I don't look at this as, as Geno Stone as being like a Deshaun Elliott situation. I thought no. Elliott. Had a lot of hitting ability. He he brought some things to the field that were good, but there wasn't enough play playmaking to be a free safety, and and there wasn't enough nose for the football as opposed to um, breaking three or four ribs on each receiver whenever he had the chance. Uh, it's just it's just it's a different way of playing free safety. I understand, but you got to be able to do both, and yeah. you got to be able to do it when it's necessary in in those cases. Uh, but I do want to see. I want I want to make sure that that accountability. Um, that, yeah. that Marcus was good at, at uh, um, you know, putting forward is is going to be still something that Geno Stone takes. I see Geno Stone do it on special teams. We had, I think, in week one, one it must have been it was in a home game. So I think it was a game at Miami, uh, the game against Miami. Um, 
might have been Seymour. No, it might have been in the preseason, but it, but it was a home game. Anyway, it, it, there was a punt that was down to the three-yard line. Geno Stone immediately did a – walked up to the guy, exchanged words, tapped on the helmet, and walked away. It's like it's it's the best kind of, uh, you know, advice you can give. We've seen some of these going on for like um, 20 seconds after the play uh, this year um, that, that, have, that I think are – belie more serious issues. Hopefully not disagreement, but more serious issues that really need to be talked about for longer. All right. Uh, what else we want to talk about here? Um, you know, the run game of the Bengals was something that I was a little bit bothered by in this game. Obviously, not only did they run effectively, but they also ran with very low variance. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, they ran for 4.8 yards per play with a long of 12 in the entire game. That is not a good combination, folks. You want if 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 a team runs for four point eight against you, you hope they have you know a thirty five in there fueling a lot of that, and then they have a lot of 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 plays that aren't successful, because that's what defenses need to get off the field. You need you need to have uh, plays that uh, that stop, and it's not just a matter of you know av- average yards is the is the be all end all. It really is how many big plays can a defense make in a in a short series to try and get off the field. Um, and you'll notice it, it gets it gets so difficult in this age of football to get off the field when the other team's playing with four downs, as the Bengals were on their last touchdown drive. Yeah, this was this was the biggest concerning thing for the defense coming out of this coming out of this week because this is this was not a good Bengals run offense coming into this game. Um, you know, they they were really really struggling, and it was one of the reasons why the Bengals offense in general was struggling because. Zach Taylor was sort of dogmatically sticking to run, run, pass, um, and they just weren't running the ball effectively coming into this game. So it was a little bit concerning to see that happen, and to see it happen so often up the middle. That was the that was the the, the issue. I don't know if I'm if I'm right. That was the feel I got from the from the, from watching the game. It felt like it came up the middle quite a lot, and I, I think the thing with with coming up the middle, I, what I'd really like to see and um, at some point is the the splits for the, the Ravens did a lot of rotation on the defensive line, on the interior of the defensive line for this game. And I, I'd really like to see the the splits of cat. It felt to me very much that it happened a lot when when Brent Urban rotated in, when Travis Jones rotated in. It felt like there were there were some gaping holes for for Joe Mixon. Now Joe Mixon, I thought had a having watched those those first four games, the Bengals, I thought Mixon had a much better game. He was pressing these keys much more effectively. Uh, and so he was a much more difficult runner to face this week than he has been the rest of the season. Certainly think that's that's a factor. Um, but it was really it was really interesting to to, to see the Ravens to, to sort of struggle as much as they did. I have those breakdowns for you if you're interested. Oh, so yeah, yeah. with uh, I'll go through them here. Uh, Campbell nine rush plays for 38, 4.2. Uh, Jones eight rush plays for 29, 3.6. Of course, when they have Jones in there, they're looking to be heavy and, and are aware of the run, of course. Matt BK, yeah. 11 for 57, 5.2. Uh, we got Urban, 12 for 62, 5.2. So it's really not a lot of difference from yeah. that 4.8 overall. And Washington, 5 for 24, 4.8. Uh, there were some differences in terms of how they looked on pass plays that was much more significant. Campbell, actually, 6.9 yards per pass play. Urban, minus 0.2 yards per pass play. Uh, and Washington minus 0.3 yards per pass play. Negative two net yards on nine and eight plays, respectively, for those two guys. Oh, that's interesting. That is pretty pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, it's interesting. I, I look at a lot of yards per play stats, and 
one of the things I'll just bring up this old story, Dan Cody, the second round draft pick of the Ravens yeah. in about 2010 or so. Uh, and he got on the field. Actually, I don't think it was 2010 because that was the Kindle thing. So maybe it was nine, maybe it was 11, one of those two. But anyway, he, he no, no, it was earlier than that because it was 2006 is when he played. So I think he might've been a 2005 draftee second round. So anyway, he came in and, and he played 14 snaps against the Atlanta Falcons. And I can just say, watching Dan Cody play, I'm always excited when a player gets on the field for the first time. And then the Falcons had 14 plays for negative 22 yards when he was on the field that day. He did a great job of containment, but he didn't make any tackles directly himself. He played all over. They moved him around. Uh, they played him over the nose, uh, which was something that Ryan would occasionally do. They played him on both edges. You know, he was standing. He was in a three-point stance. It was, it, it, he did it all. And he like played defense for the cycle in, in his in his first <laughs> NFL game, and then and then immediately uh, in the very next week he was hurt after one one snap and was done for his career, never returned to the field. Uh, uh, but he still leads the Ravens all time in <laughs> negative yards per play. So uh, the statistic can be flawed. <laughs> I thought um, I actually thought on that front about sort of. The, the do it all sort of thing. I did actually think the Ravens set the edge uh, a little better in this game than they have done in recent games. I think always, um, Owe like is showing some signs of improvement whilst there's still being some some holes mm-hmm. there. Um, and I thought JPP was 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 better in terms of that uh, in terms of that aspect of his game this week. So they 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 struggled to get the ball outside. Um, but you know, like I said, I just think it did it did run the go, and I'm sure we're. I'm sure there's there's also plenty of people who will will point at, at Patrick Queen in in that regard as well. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it wasn't a perfect game for Queen um, in, in terms of uh, getting caught in the wash or getting blocked and, and getting off blocks. I I I want to be as upbeat as we can about Patrick Queen as we discuss the players, and he certainly was one of the guys I highlighted in my review. If you want to go see star treatment in this week's article, please take a look at that. Uh, careful balancing of positives and negatives, but I think in terms of one positive is. He got his hands out away from his body for that interception. Now, it wasn't way out in front of his body. It was still kind of close to his face, but it was clearly uh, not at a point where he was allowing the ball to impact his chest or head as he caught it. So, you know, I take some positives from that in terms of a point of emphasis because he's been in the right place a few times these last couple of weeks, these last three games. He's been in position to have four turnovers, and he, he's he's finally collected the first one. One is a fumble on the ground that Marcus Peters stripped away, and then he had the two other near interceptions, one of which probably should have gone for a pick six the other direction. But it's really nice to see him, you know, take a step forward, catch the football for once, and hopefully he's he does a better job. Even if he doesn't catch the football, just want to see him catch the try and get the ball out away from his body where he's got a chance to tip it to himself. Yeah, and, and that interception was a was a was a kind of. A microcosm of the improvement in his play this year because the 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 Bengals really don't run very much play action at all. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 really don't, and when they do, it's not particularly effective. So on on usually when they do that, you know, basically because they don't run much play action at all. When when Burrow turns around to hand it off to a running back, usually he's turning around to hand it off to the running back, and that's it. There's nothing else coming. Yep. And and Queen was very quick to identify. That, that was play action against a team that doesn't run play action very often. And that's that's something that he's struggled with before, where he's bit hard on play action and struggled. Uh, and he, he that was really good that he got straight out there into the flat. I, I, I completely agree 
about all of those things. I mean, it's like I'm looking at a different player to watch Patrick Queen on that play. When has he ever showed the kind of awareness that he did to move to a particular spot behind him, turn, find the football out in front with the hands, everything, you know, everything right. Something tells me this wasn't just about Patrick Queen. This is about Patrick Queen playing in practices against Joe Burrow at LSU. And, yeah. and he he remembers some things from there. I, I want to see him replicate any of that against some other quarterbacks because, you know, it's that's that's the job. I mean, he's got to learn how to defend the pass. He's got some other things he needs to improve into, but he's got to learn how to defend the pass. And if if this is a legitimate step forward, it, it could be a very, very big step for Patrick Queen. Yeah, and I think the curves continue to to look upward for me with with Queen from from what we've seen this season. Uh, there was just a a few tackling issues again in this game, which I'm sure he would probably hold himself accountable for. Um, but you know, getting in place to to make those plays a bit more. You know, I think we've talked in the past before about missed tackles that aren't really missed tackles; they mm-hmm. actually are missed tackles that end up in a negative negative play. And he had a couple of those, and well, at least one in this game that I remember. I think. Um, where he was in the backfield, so I do feel like he's getting in position to make those plays um, a lot more. So, and which is a which is a big improvement. Yeah, I, I had him for two missed tackles in this game. Actually, I might have had him for three. Now that you mention it, but I'll go. I, I'll go. We're talking Patrick Queen. Here's here's the. I think I only had him for two missed tackles. So Q three six zero eight. It was third and six, and it was a PR seven. Queen missed the tackle at three yards, and Perrine had elevated to make the catch. Do you remember that? That was really bad. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was awful. And then it, that ended up being a conversion. Uh, yeah. It, was, it went for seven yards on third and six. The other one was on third and one. And the first down had already been accomplished. So it wasn't you know a horrible loss on the back end of this. But he missed a tackle at three yards on an on a eight-yard play that was minus two plus ten. So it's three yards past the line of scrimmage, but already past the sticks that that the, uh, the tackle was missed. So... Um, you know, obviously it's not good when, when Patrick Queen continues to miss 20% of tackles, but on the other end, you know, looking at some of the other things, he had a great coverage play on, I think it was the second drive, third drive that, that he was covering Perrine, uh, four yards on that left sideline and he forced a throw away and a subsequent field goal attempt. So it was as actually a little bit later in the half towards the end of the half, it was. All right. Uh, let's keep going here. Talk a little bit about the packages in this game. And I, I, I want to go through these if we can, and I'll, uh, I'll be pretty quick about it, but, uh, the Ravens only had four packages in this game. They never got into their base defense the entire game. So that's kind of a little strange, but then you realize the Bengals are really choosing their defensive package for them. Anytime they put 11 on the field, which is pretty much every play for them. Uh, the Ravens can't really, can't really play a base package. They have to have three cornerbacks on the field. Uh, they can do it either with a jumbo nickel or a standard nickel if they do that. And they did a little bit of each of that uh, in this game, but they never did get to play base package. Uh, it always kind of amuses me when people talk about uh, uh, packages as if they're all a choice of the <laughs> of the uh, defense. Yeah, and in this game, I, I think um... – uh, I said we'd get to it. And maybe I'll, I'll sort of bring it up now. I think this this game was really interesting for for that because, like you said, the, the Bengals really run eleven personnel. That was one of the issues actually that I think the Ravens showed in the not one. Let's go back again, but the Ravens showed in in defending the run game was 
you know, they, the, the Bengals were able to run out of 11 personnel. Usually the Bengals are very predictable in terms of when they're running the football. Uh, they're only usually able to run it when they don't run 11 personnel and that they could, mm. they could do it to the Ravens in this game um, when they had 11 personnel. The, the other thing that I think with that, that was, that was interesting sort of staying in those, in those packages was I think the Ravens got very lucky and it will be really interesting in the next matchup. Um, if T Higgins is back and healthy, um, he he is a real real problem that that really really is a is an issue for teams. When if you do focus far too much of your resources on on Jamar Chase, T Higgins is is going to absolutely destroy you. He's one of the best second options in the league, uh, and I think they got pretty lucky that he was out in this game. I think it allowed them to deploy their their secondary resources a, a bit differently um, and get a bit creative with with making sure that you took away some of the the secondary weapons, sort of not secondary weapons, really the tertiary weapons, you know, because Chase is Chase is the number one and Higgins is the next one. And then and then if you focus too much on both of those, you then have some issues Boyd. with Boyd and, and Hurst. Um, and actually the Ravens were able to to pretty pretty well bottle Boyd up. Um, and even though Hurst had a had a pretty good game, uh, it wasn't a monster game. So I think the the loss of Higgins allowed them to be really creative with the way they deployed their personnel against those those other weapons that the Bengals have. Yeah, they. I mean, I, I'm not. Sh- I, I'm not sure how I would say the creativity was. They did some things in terms. Sorry, of- I don't mean. I didn't yeah. mean creativity. I, I mean, like you, you don't have to have Peters and Humphrey on Higgins and and Chase. Okay. You can do some other stuff, and then you can move. You know, your guys are going to be on different guys. So. Okay, sure. So Humphrey, I, I mean, I think it's just been fantastic. He's been able yeah. to continue to play on the outside now, and he's he's he played very well, but. Peters is a guy who really deserves the call out from this game, as far as I'm concerned. Despite some, some, you know, he had some up and down play. There certainly he had penalties, he had missed tackles. So, I'm not saying there wasn't plenty of that too. He had a bunch of great plays, and again, that's what defenses want. You want these these barbelled kind of results will help you get out of things. And whenever the Ravens needed a really big play in this game, Marcus Peters seemed to have it. And uh, you know, great great coverage on the outside. If you look at Chase's stats, and this is not all Peters. But Chase, they threw the ball to him 12 times for 50 yards. Uh, you know, that, that's 4.1 yards per per play, you know, going to, to Chase. We'd be screaming out loud if Mark Andrews had a game like that. You know, it'd be a, it'd be a horrible thing. Uh, so anyway, it's, uh, it, it, was a, it was a big game, a lot of uh, very positive things to say in terms of, uh, of how Peters did. And I, I kind of want to go through that in more detail a little bit later when we get into the player section. Can we move on to the next package, if you don't yeah. mind? Sure, yeah, let's do it. So the standard nickel is what they play most of the time. 40 plays, 203 yards, 5.1 yards per play. 17 runs for 84 yards, so 4.9 yards per play. Not much different from their total run statistics, of course. And 23 pass plays for 119 yards, 5.1, almost no different also from their total. So it wasn't like there were big swings by package in this game. The only interesting thing I'd say about the standard nickel is the Ravens did not play it with the same slot corner the whole game. So they started off the game and they had Stevens playing slot corner on the first, third, and fifth drives. And then he was also in for that one play interception drive to start the third quarter. That was all he played. Pepe Williams played the rest of the snaps, outsnapped Stevens for the game 44 to 15. Looked like they were going for some sort of rotational thing, but despite you know some of the issues that Stevens seemed to have as the game, you know, was was flowing. Uh I think the Ravens, I, I hope the Ravens have finally decided he's He's their number three guy. He's their he's their real slot corner they want to hang their hat on. 
I think certainly when, I mean, we, we touched on it a second ago, but I think certainly when they're facing a receiver like Boyd, who um, has that short area quickness and is going to be able to 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 really put, uh, you know, Stevens is really impressive, actually, with, for for his length. His, his movement skills are pretty impressive, but they're going to need someone like Pepe Williams to to take away those guys like Boyd that are the more... Um, yeah, the, the the more quicker than fast um, receivers on the inside that can that can create separation with their with their movement skills in short areas. So it just felt like that was a really um, you know a really sort of seminal game. I think in terms of that for for Pepe Williams, who like I said, I thought was really good, and it was the 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 hold was it a hold or, or the PI call was was um, was disappointing towards the end, given yeah. sort of that he had such a good game. I thought. Sorry. Yeah. I, I guess I, I, I'm going to say two things because you made a great point there about Stevens being an impressive quickness athlete for his size. And, you know, you can say the exact same thing about Pepe being an impressive ability to reach across the body of a receiver for his length. It's, it's remarkable with that. I mean, just he's, he's, he's plays so much longer than he is in terms of uh, – of that uh, you know, particular ability. But I really want to, I, I, I hope they find the place for Stevens. I personally think he's kind of an aircraft carrier still playing in the slot. Uh, it's the only place that's available right now. So that's what he's got. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a terrible place to be if you've maybe got a tight end there and he can, he can help you out with some of the physical uh, imposition of the opponent that, that he can help deflect or, or uh, you know, we've seen what Marlon Humphrey has done the last few weeks with, with, absolutely beasting up against opponents during the first five yards to derive an advantage or derive an understanding of where the play is going. Would love to see that from a player like um, uh, Stevens against a big slot. If, if he could do that or, or, you know, a probably smallish tight end would be the other choice uh, in there. But most of the time I agree with you. I want Pepe in there to handle the five, eight, five, nine uh, Wes Welker types. Were you a little surprised that he didn't really play nearly as much against the Bills. He might not have played at all, but he didn't play much against the Bills with them having the two shorter slot guys. Yeah, with McKenzie and, and Crowder, I, I was surprised. I thought I, I thought we'd see a bit more of that. They definitely, you know, I, it feels like this game was a kind of bre- breaking point in that, in that, in that. Uh, it feels like they sort of had maybe got to some kind of point here where they were sort of saying, you know what, okay, Pepe's, re- you know, he's ready now. Let's, let's, let's do this now. Because Stevens, I think, you know, hopefully I agree with you. I hope they continue to use him. And I think it allows them to have some versatility against those bigger slots like you mentioned, but it, yeah, it feels like Pepe Williams is the, is the next one off the the production line of, uh, of Tavon Young and, and, uh, and all those guys that we've had over the years. Really hope you're right on that. Now they, they went through in the, in the bills game, bills game, or it was the Patriots game. It was actually the Patriots game. Cause it was, it was the uh, Devante Parker was messing up the Ravens in a lot of ways. And we saw JAD in there for nine snaps, lose his job, get yanked after after a couple drives, giving up a couple big plays. Then Stevens come in for basically a half, and he got pulled after one drive of the second half, and he gave up a couple big plays. And then they brought Pepe, and I thought that would be the deciding factor. That you know, hey, we got we saw all three play. Pepe played the best clearly against the against the uh, Patriots. He's our guy at least for the next game. And then all of a sudden, Stevens is back in there, and. So maybe it'll be more like what matchup they like each week through the year. Maybe they'll continue on with some rotation. But I think the loser in this clearly is JED, who was uh, it was not even active in this game. In a game where you had Marcus Peters playing hurt. So, you know, what are your other options on the outside 
if something goes wrong there. You have Kayvon Seymour. Okay. You have Daryl Worley. Uh, you know, are these the guys who are really ahead of JAD on the depth chart right now? Yeah, that was really telling, wasn't it? Um, to, to see that. It, it did feel like that. I, I guess maybe it, there's a, a baptism of fire thing early on in the season and maybe they're they're taking a, a kind of long road with JAD and thinking let's let's um let's keep him out for a for a while and and protect him a little bit and, and help and let him develop um on the practice field for a little bit and, and maybe throw him in again later later down the down the line. Um I, I, I just think um I think you're right. I, I, I felt like yeah, we saw with them um, with Pepe in the in his time at Houston that he was very good in terms of getting his um, his timing on the on the pass breakups was was so good, and it, it sort of it, it really did belie his length. It was strange. I wonder whether there was something a little bit in this game. They they play they seem to play a bit more man coverage against the Bills, um, and so maybe it was a kind of man versus zone difference in the game plan that was a bit more zone in this game, and and maybe they feel better about. Um, matching up Brandon Stevens in man coverage uh, than they do about Pepe Williams at this point in his career. But I, 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 I don't know about you, but I just feel like he can do it. And I feel like this was a game where you started to see that he he probably should start to take that over now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I don't honestly see that big a deficit of yeah. Pepe relative to Stevens in, in any particular, even as a downhill player where Stevens is a bigger, more physical guy. I mean, I think Pepe has proved himself quite an apt tackler already in a short time. Uh, it's, it hasn't been perfect by any stretch, but you know we've seen a lot of problems with Stevens uh, in, in in terms of a variety of coverage elements to his game. Occasionally, in terms of missed tackles as well, but probably a little bit less so than 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 with Pepe. I'm just I'm not seeing the the reason to to stick with a big slot, and I, I, in particular, if you really want Stevens to be a guy who can help you down the road, I think you probably want to want to. Put him on the uh, put his feet to the fire at outside corner and see what he can do. He's not going to crack the safety group on this team, not unless there are further injuries. Uh, so that, that really means he's got to play outside. Of course, now we might only be one injury away from Brandon Stevens going back to safety this year, unfortunately. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, additional packages. There was a, there are a couple of things I wanted to to talk about in terms of the dimes. They used okay. These are standard nickel. They used a jumbo nickel for six plays. This is actually kind of a key point, too. The Ravens had the jumbo nickel on for six plays. Jumbo nickel, you've heard me talk about on this show before, and I know you know what this is, James, or at least what, I, what I've been calling it, but it's, it's when you have one ILB generally off ball and a standard four-man front, sorry, sorry, standard five-man front with three down linemen so that you can keep your nickel. And so you make a sacrifice of one inside linebacker being taken off the field so you can put on one additional defensive lineman. Some teams call it penny. I know it's called other things. I like jumbo nickel because it keeps the number of defensive backs straight with coinage. So that's what I've been calling it. Um, they they played that six times in this game, three runs for eight yards and three passes, which were S minus seven, S minus 12 and incomplete. So three pass plays for negative 19. Uh, Malik Harrison had some really good plays, by the way, in, in that group. Uh, but they also took Patrick Queen off the field for all six of those plays. Yeah, and, and they used binds um, quite effectively on those. I think that one of those will have been the bind sack because I'm sure that was with um, was it was Jimbo Nickel. Um, uh, so I, I, I do, uh, yeah, I think that they they they've been using that more and more effectively. It'll be interesting to see how they deploy it going forward. It's def- obviously been really effective against the pass, but um, interesting to see it deployed against the run as well to to a little, to a bit of success because the Ravens have you know played 
seem to play a lot more four-man fronts this season and it, it feels like they they are losing something in the in the run game again that's me sort of gut feel rather than any kind of um analytics but it just it feels like they're they are losing something in the run game by doing that and and uh yeah to 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 bring that in and for it to have some success against the run albeit i, I would put my caveat back in about this isn't necessarily a particularly good running team so right uh, yeah yeah, so we, yeah, it's something to be a little bit concerned about. But the jumbo nickel is supposed to stop the run. That's what it's there for. It's it gives you the extra spread of the line of scrimmage. It makes it your edge rusher, sorry, your edge setters' job easier. In, in that case, they actually used it uh, for one of the early times. They used it against San Francisco in 2019 with Martindale, and it was pretty effective at turning that game around in terms of of uh, of what they did. So. Uh, it was I, I, anyway. I really like it as a as a in between kind of package, and uh, and Martindale liked it as just an alternative uh, against eleven personnel. That sometimes you want to go with jumbo nickel, sometimes you want to go with standard nickel because it's always a good thing to keep the quarterback guessing uh, from from play to play, keep the offensive coordinator guessing. All right, real quickly, the standard dime twelve plays. Uh, it's it, all, all the normal stuff, two down linemen, two outside linebackers, one inside linebacker and, uh, six defensive backs. Every time they brought in, um, uh, Hamilton to, to play in this time. What's really interesting is they didn't play Hamilton on any of those three drive ending plays in the first quarter. We talked about it a little bit earlier, the 12 plays he was in the Ravens gave up 99 yards, 8.3 yards per play. So the dime defense has not been as effective as the Ravens could have hoped this year. They haven't really been able to lean on opponents with it in the ways we'd hoped. Uh, Hamilton has done some solid things as a player. I think there's a long way to go still with him in terms of being able to, to get in there and being a, be a starter at this point. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, 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 I think for me, I see, you know, I, I studied him quite a lot in college. I, I do, I do see for me the, the flashes that tell you that this was the, you know, uh, a good choice for the Ravens. I think. Uh, I think you can you can see a curve where you you can see a tra- you can't see a curve yet, but I think I can see a trajectory into the future where uh, we do see him as a as a really effective starter in the league. I think he's shown enough of those flashes, but certainly the results so far have been you know uh, have been not under. I'm not going to say they're underwhelming. I think he's just been he hasn't been on the field as much as. We probably would have liked from from such a high first round draft pick at this point, and, and you really don't want to have to wait a long time for a first round draft pick to to get on the field. Um, so you know you would hope that this development curve is pretty steep over the course of this year, and you start to see him sort of making that package more effective at, at the very least in the in in the you know in the in the coming weeks, and and hopefully starts to push for more playing time in, in normal. Uh, in the normal packages as we start to get towards the end of the year. Oh, you muted, Ken, I think. Wouldn't it be a show without it? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, uh, I turned this around as a question for you. And I, I watched him play a lot at Notre Dame too. Maureen yeah. went there and we, we end up watching a lot of the Notre Dame games as it yeah. is. And Hamilton, remarkable instincts, plays much faster than his, than his uh, speed would indicate. Uh, I think he's. We've seen some things in terms of of coming high and ball awareness and whatnot, in particular, enforcing that fumble that Peters recovered, what last week, two weeks ago, whenever it was. But here's here's the question I would have: um, If you're the Ravens, do you look at this as an opportunity? The loss of of 
of uh, Williams and say, you know what? You know, I'm I'm not crazy about the relative things. I think Stone is the better football player right now, but this is too good an opportunity to get Hamilton in there, and another may not come. So we've got to take this, and even if that means moving Clark to free safety, and which would be suboptimal for Clark, but I think is the other choice, and have Hamilton be the strong safety and be a guy who can roam the field and make some plays. I think that's the difficulty. That the the challenge for me was that this. The, the safety combination that was sort of the dream for his development was playing with Williams because they complement each other so well. Because the the thing that I felt was Hamilton's big weakness at Notre Dame was when he had to go backwards towards the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that when the, the kind of angles he took going backwards wasn't wasn't as great. He was much better coming forwards, attacking the attacking the football, um, because he could take advantage of what is what what is pretty good explosive ability. He's an explosive athlete um, and and fast over the first few yards not not necessarily with the kind of long measurable long speed that you would you would necessarily look for but plenty of it so I think the challenge is yeah that it, it it you would have to you would have to reverse Chuck's role in this defense to be able to do it because I, th- I don't think you want to put him as a square peg in a round hole, because I just think it possibly is going to hurt his development longer term. So it does feel like you would have to change the nature of the way Clark plays, but that's a possibility. You know, Clark is certainly, he's a, he's a veteran, um, extremely intelligent player. So, so maybe that is something they look at. Maybe they do look at that as an opportunity to, to get Hamilton in there and, and get him developed. I guess there is a point that, you know, the schedule starts to soften slightly and maybe this is a good time to to get him in there and maybe accelerate that development a little bit, knowing that you probably have a little bit of a cushion to win some of these games uh, if the defense isn't as, as, as tied up on the back end as it, as it could be. And I mean, I guess the other, the other side of that is that, that you put in Hamilton late in some games where you got a big lead. The Ravens have just got to be better at holding onto the lead. It, it really just yeah. comes down to that. If if the Ravens are going to be one of these teams where every game is close, it just does not play into the hands of what they're really good at. It, you know, what they're really good at is finding the football, taking it away, you know, making the other team pay with long drives. And, you know, it's, it's a, it, it's, it's built for Lamar Jackson to build your big leads and, and, and to get the game done from there. And their, their inability to do that has been so distressing through these first five weeks. I mean, they always, they did get it done against the Jets, so no problem there. Um, and and they showed good things against the Patriots, even though they let them get caught up at one point. Um, but but I think that it's it, actually at two points, I think the Patriots caught them in that game. Um, but but it's been really bad in the three home games. You know, they've, they've blown a 10-plus point lead each time, and, and that's been extremely distressing as far as I'm concerned in doing this. All right, one other they played one snap a quarter right before the half. It was actually the last play of the of the first half. They uh, uh, they were in quarter and they gave up a. Actually, they didn't give up anything, did they? That play was incomplete, and then they kicked the field goal after that. That was a little play off to Queen on one side that uh, that he was in good position on. Uh, tell you what, we're going to do. We're going to take a short break here. We're going to come back and we'll talk about the pass rush, some individual player discussion, and the mailbag. And uh, I hope you're still okay on time here, James, because we're just loving this. All right, outstanding. James, one more time, at NFL Ogden on Twitter. Any other place they should look for your work? Red Star. Yeah, Red Star Baltimore, which is um, where we do uh, a big draft report every year. Um, So uh, focused 
primarily, well, it is focused entirely on the Ravens. So it, it will give you an evaluation of a player, but will also give you uh, how that player could fit with the Ravens schematically and um, in terms of the way they play. Um, and so we give some ratings on that and also really, you know, dig into what how the Ravens might use that player if they draft them. Um, so that that's that should be a good one. And, and like I said earlier as well, you can also find my, my game previews every week on Russell Street Report. Great nod, by the way, with Red Star to the Ravens practice of allowing each scout to designate a Red Star player. That's what this is from, I assume, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have been doing this for a long time in terms of evaluating players. And uh, every year I will I will designate a few Red Stars myself because I heard about the practice so, so long ago. And it is I think it's a I think it is a great practice. And I also think it's cr- don't want to get into this too much because I can talk about the draft all night. But um, I also think it's crucial when you have a, a best player available mantra because you can sometimes get a little bit lost in terms of the the stacking of the board. You know, the stacking of the board will be a really important part of the, the Ravens draft process. So to be able to have those guys that you kind of pick out and single out as as guys that you think are Ravens can can be guys that you kind of look for. And and obviously there have been a number of examples of those guys over the years that have come in and, and, and been really great. All right. Outstanding. We'll be back for part two in just a moment. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.